Amen. Thanks a lot, Aaron. You can take a seat, church. Um, welcome this morning. We doing okay? It's a good day to worship the Lord. Um, and not only worship him in singing, but worship him in obedience, right? And, uh, and coming together in God's house, uh, it is a joy to be here this morning. My name is Tyler. I'm the Youth and Families Pastor. Uh, and I want to say welcome to you. Uh, it is good to have you. And if you are here in person or maybe you are tuning in online, Facebook, YouTube, we are glad that you are here. Uh, and I want to encourage you, if this is your first time or maybe you've been a couple times but haven't filled out a communication card, that is... Uh, That's really probably the best way we can get uh, uh, the information you need to you. And so you can do that by going to our Church Center app, uh, downloading that app, and filling out a communication card. If you're online, you can just scroll down, click the link, and you can fill out a communication card that way. And we would uh, really greatly appreciate that, um, and we feel like it would be an encouragement to you. Uh, Last night, we had a team of people at the Half Moon Town Trunk or Treat. Uh, where we set up a trunk uh, for our church, and we handed out information, and we represented our church. That's a praise. Uh, Pretty cool. That line was backed up for hours, Um, and uh, everybody wants to get out and get some candy. And so our church had a great showing last night. Uh, We appreciate all that went into that. Uh, Typically, we have a trunk or treat here on campus, and because of all the changes this year, um, we, we made the decision to Uh, equip our people to be trunk or treat at their house. Uh, And so uh, this is what's happening this coming week. We're doing our ambassador program, our Halloween ambassadors. And if you are an individual, a couple, a family who want to be ambassadors for our church, we would love it. Uh, We are looking still for about five houses that will say, you know what, I'll represent our church because I love our church. We love our church, all right? Raise your hand if you love our church. Okay, you see those sign-ups? You just signed up. I've got you on tape, all right? Why would you not want to put one of these signs in your front yard, right? If you sign up, I mean, when you sign up, okay, uh, over the next couple days, uh, and, and really by Tuesday, we've got to have everybody who's doing this together so that we can put together packages. We're going to give you uh, a, a load of candy okay, that you can hand out, good candy, you remember? Thank you for bringing it in. Uh, we're going to give you a sweatshirt like this one. Doesn't this look nice? It's incredibly comfortable. Okay. We're going to give you a yard sign like this so you can put it up in your yard. We're going to give you some cards that give information about our church, also information on how families can uh, register to win a family challenge bundle. And uh, we've got Starbucks gift cards that we're giving away. We've got uh, an adventure challenge book with a camera that we're giving away to one family. And so we want families to go on. It's a very easy plug. They go on, they scan the QR code, and they can win that bundle. We already had... Uh, I think 24 families registered last night uh, for this bundle that went on our website, that checked out everything that we have going on, and, uh, and that registered their family for that. And so we want you to give out those cards. So if you're interested in that, uh, talk to me today, uh, or talk to Amy Hughes today, or you can go on straight to the, web, straight to the app, and you can sign up that way. Uh, we, we really want you to, do, we're excited about this church, 
We're excited that we can be the hands and feet of Jesus um, at the end of our property on Halloween night, engaging with families, parents, kids, giving candy, but also showing them the love of Christ uh, and that our church cares for them in their community. And so uh, we encourage you to do that. Also, our kids' ministry is up and running. That'll be second service. Just as a reminder, our youth ministry programs are up and running on Wednesday nights. We've had an amazing first few weeks, grades 6 to 12, 6.30, Wednesday nights over in the youth building. And we are outgrowing that space, so we will probably end up meeting over here in the sanctuary, which is a blessing uh, this coming week. Uh, we've got a lot going on, church. This is good. This is an exciting time, um, and we're, we appreciate you being a part of what God's doing here. If you've come prepared to give this morning with your tithes and your offerings, we want to say thank you. Um, the faithfulness of your giving is a blessing to our church, and uh, as worship, it is glorifying to God. And so if you uh, are prepared to give this morning, you can do that in the boxes uh, beside the door as you exit this morning. I'm going to hand it over to our speaker this morning, Chad Thompson, who's a good friend and uh, inspiration mentor of mine who challenges me all the time. So, Chad Thompson. All right, we're going to continue in our study through the book of Mark. So if you have your Bibles, please turn there. And I was actually using my child pickup receipt as a bookmark, which is a shameless plug for our children's ministry that occurs in the second service. All right. We're continuing on. We'll be in Mark chapter 12 beginning in verse 28, and we are continuing to see how Jesus handles the questioning of the religious leaders in the temple. It is the Passion Week, and uh, he's already been questioned by the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and so let's read together uh, verses 28 through 34, our text for this morning. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with another, with one another, And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other beside him. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that, He answered wisely. He said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for gathering us today as your body. Lord, thank you that we are able to to do so, whether in person or elsewhere. Father, we pray that you'd help us to strip away the distractions of wherever we are and whatever is going on. We pray that we would hear from you as the scribe uh, appears to be hearing from you. Lord, please teach us your word. 
we give you this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the scribe approaches him and says, what's the greatest commandment? And let, let's just stop and pause about that question. I'm guessing it's, it's, it's one that you've had a discussion or two about. What's the greatest or, or who's the greatest? Have you ever talked about this with friends? Who's the greatest president of all time? Or who's the greatest quarterback in NFL history? Who's the greatest Super Bowl quarterback? And we get down to the nuances of these different things. Um, who's the greatest guitarist of all time? And musicians, if you've ever met a musician, they've got an opinion on that. Who's the greatest YouTuber right now? Who's the greatest blank? It's a discussion we love to have, and we love the title of greatest. In fact, it was Muhammad Ali that claimed he was the greatest. And even, not, to be, not to be shunned, Ricky Henderson had to dip his toe into the pond and proclaim that he was the greatest of all time as well. All right? Israel had its lists too. Think about it. I'm sure there are discussions around the table of who was the greatest Old Testament person or character. You'd have to list Abraham or Moses at the, at the top. Or who is the greatest prophet of the Bible? Elijah, Elisha, the greatest king? Oh, hands down, David, right? But now we get to this question by the scribe today. What's the greatest commandment of the Mosaic law? This was one of actually great debate. You see, the religious leaders identified 613 commandments in the law of Moses. And they get this number, it's a weird number, they get it by counting the number of Hebrew letters in the Decalogue, in the Ten Commandments given in Exodus chapter 20. So because there are 613 Hebrew letters, there thus must be 613 laws. And they broke down those laws into negative and positive laws. They, they surmised that there were 365 negative laws, the thou shalt nots of the Mosaic law. And there were 248 positive law commandments, the hey, go and do those things. You have to do those things. They believed that there was actually a distinction between heavier or weightier laws and lesser laws. And, and, and we kind of do that in our day and age. Well, he just told a little white lie, right? Have you ever heard that? It's not as bad as killing somebody. And, and, and the rationale here was they understood that they couldn't keep the entire law, all 613 of them, so they wanted to, want to know the ones that were greater. Because then in their mind, if they accomplished those weightier laws, commandments, then it would be the equivalent of fulfilling all of them. So th there was actually a rationale for them as to why they wanted to do this. And they were looking to sum up the entire law into one single unifying command. The past two weeks, we've studied through as a congregation Jesus being questioned. In fact, these questions were traps, we are told in the Gospels. They were trying to trap Jesus because not only did they not like him, they wanted to eliminate him off the face of the earth forever. 
So they're looking to question him, but ultimately to trap him. So two weeks ago, the first question that we, that we went through, what came from the Pharisees, and they asked the pointed question, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Because if, remember, the, remember what Pastor Matt taught us, if he says, yes, it's lawful, then he's going to anger the Israelites because they have this occupying force of the Roman army there. If he says, no, it is not lawful, then he's going to incur the wrath of Rome. Jesus' response was, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Oh, it's beautiful. Beautiful response, isn't it? And you could just see him going, darn it. So next up to the plate, the Pharisees step back and the Sadducees step up. The Sadducees were the, um, as Pastor Matt said, the aristocracy. They were the ones that actually ruled over the Sanhedrin, the, the leading body of the religious leaders of Israel. And they, they were a different group that only believed that the word of God consisted of the Torah, the first five books of, of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They didn't believe in a resurrection, and you have to believe that the question they asked Jesus is one that they had played with the Pharisees in the past with. Their question, which was a purely made-up and fictional question, they said, Master or Rabbi, there was a man who had a wife, and he had no children, and he died. And then, according to the law of leverage marriage, she would then marry the next of kin, his brother, in order to raise up offspring to keep his inheritance in the land. Well, this man had six brothers, and the, whole, the same thing happened seven times in all. She married the brother, he would die before raising up offspring. In the resurrection, which we don't believe in, in the resurrection, whose wife will she be? And Jesus, again, puts his thumb right on the situation, and he says, in a, uh, he says, is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Listen to the tact and diplomacy there. These were the religious elite. And he says, you're wrong because you do not know the scriptures. These guys could recite the scriptures to us verbatim. But not only that, you don't know the power of God. And then, swinging a whiff, they step down. We come to our text this morning. Let's go back to verse 28. And it says, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him which commandment is the most important of all. This man is a scribe. He, he's a professional scholar, a lawyer, an, an attorney with expertise in the interpretation and application of the law of Moses, the Old Testament, and in rabbinic regulations. Matthew's parallel passage in Matthew 22 says that it seems as if, from his writing, that the Pharisees had gathered again to come up a second time, and this scribe is speaking on behalf of them. Mark doesn't record that. He just records the, uh, the scribe's question. So the question is, which commandment is the most important of all? Again, it was common for these teachers to attempt to summarize 
man's chief obligation to God. Yes, they believed that all the commandments were binding, but they often attempted to sum up the whole law in a single unifying command. If there was just, if you boiled it down to one thing, what would that one thing be? And verse 29 gives us Jesus' response. Read it, please. Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Again, Jesus does what Jesus does by directing them back into the word of God. Stop, note, hey, perhaps that's a good place for us to start. Any argument is basing it on the word of God. Not only that, we mentioned that we had the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Jesus directs them back to a text that both groups would feel comfortable with. He directs them back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. This is one that they knew very well. Jesus understands who his audience is, who the guys are that are trying to trap him. And again, he masterfully handles God's word as the word of God. And he quotes the most fundamental summary of man's obligation to God in the Shema. The Shema was, was uh, the verses in Deuteronomy chapter 6 here, verses 4 and 5, that pious Jews would recite two times a day, once in the morning and once in the evening. Shema it just simply means hear. And, and the, the, the reason why it gets the title is because of the first word in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel. So they call it the Shema. Again, pious Jews said this twice a day. This is a text that this scribe would be very familiar with. In fact, it was a confession of faith that rabbis taught by, by quoting or reciting the Shema is to submit to the entire yoke of the kingdom of heaven. And it affirms two things here. It affirms the unity of God, that the Lord is one, and the covenant relationship of God to the Jewish people. And what's significant about the covenant relationship that God has with his people? That God was the one stepping forward to place himself in covenant with these people. You, we need to see this because it frames the argument, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He's using the covenant name of God to remind them of the covenant relationship that Israel has with God, that the covenant that God enacted with them. God is, in essence, by entering into covenant, is presenting his entire being to Israel. Oh, fantastic framework, isn't it? God is to be completely loved and totally followed because he and he alone has made a covenant of love with his people. We need to see that that's the foundation and framework with, that Jesus is arguing here from. In the covenant, God gives himself totally in love to his people, and therefore he expects his people to give themselves totally 
of what? Of soul, mind, and strength in love to him. The Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6 mentions three of those that I just mentioned, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus adds a fourth. He says, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, he adds, and with all your strength. It summarizes the totality of who we are. We could try to break these out, but in, just in, in prep room for this morning, the, the commentators and, and different scholars of the day argued about specifics, but for the most part, we could say the heart biblically refers to the core of you and me, our, our thoughts, our words. Uh, the soul is our emotions, the humanity that we bring to a situation. Strength, that physical energy and function, actually putting our heart into action. Would we not say that that's what our strength is? And then Jesus adds mind. This embraces the will, the intentions, and purposes. See, Jesus wanted to leave no ambiguity here. We are to love God with the fullness of our understanding. So genuine love for God is an intelligent love, an emotional love, a willing love, and an active love. It's comprehensive and all-consuming. God's wholehearted love for believers must not be reciprocated with half-heartedness. What's the greatest commandment? Love God completely and wholly with all that you are. Then Jesus gives him more. Look at verse 31. And he says, the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Jesus gives the scribe more than what he asked for. He asked for the greatest commandment. Jesus gives him the greatest and the second greatest. He quotes this time from Leviticus 19, verse 18. Again, a book of the Torah, a book of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Jesus shows, please don't miss this, that our that loving our neighbors is the natural outworking of loving God. Folks, folks, very simple. We need to understand this. And I think specifically for our church, right here, right now, at whatever time you're watching this, I'll, I'll say it again. Loving our neighbors is the natural outworking of loving God. Okay, Jeff. Who are our neighbors? Great question. The Jews had a very strict and very regimented definition as to who your neighbor would be. There were those that defined it as only those of Israel, of Jewish blood. But according to Leviticus 19.34, it also added strangers living in the land amongst them, sojourners. Um, we would call them resident aliens today. Those that would have maybe perhaps two passports, an American passport and some other. But Jesus expands this definition, doesn't he? And we know it from our Sunday school lessons. He expands the definition to include groups that the Jews didn't want to include, such as the Samaritans and the Gentiles. Go back in your mind. Luke chapter 10, the parable of the good Samaritan. Man's going from Jerusalem. He gets beat up and robbed on the road. At two different times, a priest and a Levite come down on the same road. 
They see the man laying on the side of the road. They cross over to the other side of the road and continue on their way. A third person comes, and this one's a Samaritan. Samaritans and Jews hated each other. Hated each other. Go back to John chapter 4, and you get the, Jesus talking to the, the woman at the well to, to get some understanding there. Hated each other. Yet the Samaritan picks the man up, brings him to an inn, puts balm in his wounds, and pays for whatever is necessary. And Jesus asked, who is the neighbor here? The response from the Pharisee at that time was the one who showed mercy. And Jesus' response was, go and do the same to those you hate. But to, to lay our finger on it, Jesus included all. Anybody we come in contact is with is our neighbor. The Sermon on the Mount. Let me just read it to you. Matthew 5, verses 43 to 47. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So, first greatest commandment, love God. With what? with everything that I am, with everything that you are. And the second is to love our neighbor as ourself. Who are our neighbors? Anybody you come in contact with. Get back into, into Mark. Jesus says, there is no other commandments greater than these. I think I need to take a, 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 a pause here and say that Please observe with me that there is no command to love yourself. That's the number one command of our culture right now. You love yourself first, then you can love others. And if you don't love yourself, then you can't love others. Folks, that's hogwash. That's hogwash, it's garbage. There's no command for me to love me because why? I already love me. You already love you. There's a reason why we take these things called selfies and we do the, 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 the lips, right? I, I'm so old, I don't understand those lips. They, they don't look good to me. And, and, all right, whatever. I automatically love myself. That's where I get myself into trouble, loving myself too much. There is no command for me to love me because I'm going to love me. Instead, the command is to love others the way that I love me. Folks, simple, simple text. Yet putting it into action means the difference. Let's look at the scribe's response. Verse 32, and the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Step back. 
in the temple, this scribe, this, this appears that he's one of the Pharisees with all of his colleagues around. Something's different here, and Mark, I think, is trying to relay this man's heart to us. He sees it. He sees that these two commandments, to love God and to love others, does summarize all of the law and the prophets. Think, think of the, the Ten Commandments. The first four deal with our love, our relationship to God. The next six deal with our relationship to man. On these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets, and the scribe understood this. The Old Testament taught this elsewhere. They taught that, that this was greater than, than their Jewish religion and, and the offering of sacrifices. Let me just read a few verses to you. In 1 Samuel 15, 22, it says, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. And those of you that are older than teenagers, that applies to us too. We need to obey. Hosea 6.6, listen to it. It says, for I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Micah 6.8, which Pastor Matt read for us not too long ago. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. We can summarize the whole thing in these two verses here or these two commandments. If you and I love God with our entire being, we will naturally keep the commandments that concern our relationship to God. And if you and I love our neighbor as ourselves, then we'll, we, we will keep those commandments that are specific to human relationships. I will not need laws and commandments like thou shalt not murder. Because if I'm loving my neighbor with as much love as I have for myself, I'm not going to go and kill them. I'm actually going to be looking for their greater good. And Jesus' response is telling for us. In verse 34, Jesus responds. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Something's different with this scribe. Jesus is engaging on a one-on-one -on -one level here. Think about the last two weeks in our, in our, in our, um, in our texts, in, in our studies. They've been very combative. Jesus says, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Notice, however, that he does not say you are in the kingdom of God because we are not brought into the kingdom through our minds, through our knowledge, through our understanding. The scribe was, was facing truth honestly. The scribe was beginning to see and understand what it means that the Lord God is the sovereign king and what it means to love him for who he is. This scribe was actually testing his own faith, or lack thereof, by what the word of God says and not by what his religious group was putting forth. 
Please understand, this scribe still needed to be born again. Saved by faith through grace. So what? Pastor Matt likes asking, so what? Well, first and foremost, love God, love others. We've heard that a time or two, have we not? It's kind of a mantra here, right? Love God, love others. It summarizes the entire Old Testament, the law and the prophets. Love fulfills the law. In Matthew's record of this interchange, he records that Jesus said on these two commandments, depend or hang all the law and the prophets. Galatians 6.2 says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens. Bearing some other person's burdens is not fun. Let me just read for you what John says in his first epistle. I'm going to read a few verses here. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Did did you hear that part where he says, no man's ever seen God? He says, if you can't love your brother whom you're interacting with day to day, how are you going to love God whom you've never seen before? Flip that one around though too. What does our love for each other look like to the outside world? It actually makes God manifest, revealed to the outside world. It sticks out like a sore thumb. It's evident to them that are loveless to see the love of people that really have nothing in common. We joke in our house about how much we don't have in common with different people. And I'll say things like, hey, if it wasn't for the fact that we're, we're brothers and sisters in Christ, I would never talk to this person. But it's true. That's what we are in the church. We're an amalgamation of different backgrounds, of different thoughts, of different abilities. And yet we're to bear each other's burdens, to love each other, Because one, we're commanded to do so. But two, it shows our actual love for God. And while doing that, the side reaction is the world is looking on and going, I don't know what you have, but I want to be loved like that. Right? Isn't that what draw you into the body? They'll look down and say, hey, you guys are really screwy people. But it looks like you care for them. I remember, seriously, I had a supervisor that would say things like, I would tell her what's going on at the house and what went wrong, but I had some brothers come over from the church and help me out, and she'd say things like, you've got some really good friends. And I'd, and I'd step back and go, yeah. Yeah, I do have some really good friends. Such good friends that they would say, hey, Chad, step back and just hold the wrench for me or hold the flashlight, because if you do anything, you're going to break it worse. <laughs> Those are the type of friends I found here. No man, I'm sorry, we are committed, are commanded in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, to be imitators of God as beloved children 
and walk in love as Christ loved us, loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We, we should be doing that for each other. Independent of, independent of the person's political ideology, background, their last post, or their last snide remark. Second point for our, how are we doing? Oh, well, second point for our so what this morning. Look at how Jesus answered this man. Please, step back. All of chapter 12 happens in one day. In, 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 in a somewhat short amount of time. It's Wednesday of the Passion Week. Friday he's going to be crucified. He's, hitting, he's getting hit from all corners, from all sides. The Pharisees are teaming up against him. The Sadducees, the Pharisees and the scribes are coming back at him. And he's up for, ang- he's up for war, right? Most of us would be like, all right, game time. Let's suit up and let's go. And that adrenaline's going. Anybody ever question you on anything? And you're like, hey, man, you better watch out. It's like being awakened in the middle of the night. You know, it may be as simple as your child just standing face to face with you, not saying a word, and you wake up. Oh. Crazy story. After I had that lovely fall off the ladder onto my driveway a few years ago, I don't know what happened. I woke up in the middle of the night. I, I, I could swear I saw two red eyes beaming at me. And the protector, the man of the house, I get up with cast on my right arm and my hand. I hit the wall and I punched the, I literally put a mark, you know, I'm not strong enough to actually go through the drywall. But it was fight or flight and I'm going to protect my house. It was the wall. Uh, no, no, nothing was there. I don't know what was going on. I wasn't even drugged up or medicated at the time, but I, I almost put a hole through the wall. Jesus answers this man with three different C's. And they just came naturally, so I, it's not that I'm that nerdy or anything. It just, he answered the man confidently. He answered the man confidently. The, the scribe comes and says, what's the greatest commandment? And again, in total control, Jesus repeats back to him God's word. He was ready, in season and out of season, sprinkled with salt. He answers it with the word, grounded in the law of Moses that both his, the Pharisees and the Sadducees would agree upon. He answered confidently. He also answered compassionately. Not only did he give the man the greatest command, but he, but he also gave the man the second greatest commandment to put it into action. He answered it completely. He didn't leave it off as, just go love God, good luck. He said, no, you love God and you love your neighbors. Put it into action. But he listened to the man and he let the word of God do the arguing for him. Folks, I think we need to step back. Some of us, me too, I, folks, I'm right there. We think we need to, do, to defend God's word. And what was Spurgeon's st- statement about that, his, his response? Defend God's word. You just open the cage and let the lion out, it'll defend itself. Folks, it's, it's the word of God that's lived on through uh, millennia and generations. Just speak the word. Sow the seed. All right, and then the, the, the final point, or the, the last so what. Please step back and look at what is happening here in the book of Mark, all of chapter 12, 
but in God's word as a whole. So get up and get that, get that 30,000 foot view. It's Wednesday of the Passion Week. He's going to be crucified on Friday. Verse 34 ends with, and after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. He had put them to bed. He answered their questions appropriately. They could not find fault with him. You see, he was the one that John the Baptist proclaimed to be the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist was proclaiming that Jesus Christ is the Passover Lamb. And from the 10th of Nisan to the 14th of Nisan, the Passover lamb for each family had to come into the house. Had to be part of the family. It had to be evaluated. It had to be shown or had to be seen to have no spot and no blemish. It had to be determined that it was perfect. Our Passover lamb, our atoning sacrifice, our substitution was just determined to be perfect and without blemish. He ran the gauntlet. The Pharisees fired at him. The Sadducees fired at him. The Pharisees fire again. It's been happening throughout his ministry, but it, it all got condensed down into, into a few short hours here on this day. And he came out as the spotless Lamb of God. Praise the Lord. Our Savior was perfect. Our Savior is alive. Our Savior took our punishment if you've given him that opportunity. Praise the Lord that our Holy Lamb not only endured this trial, but folks, I, I, he teaches us to this day how to deal with those that are questioning God's word and he saw in this scribe something different. He saw a man that was questioning his, his relationship with God and wanted to come farther. Folks, we are to be the hands and feet of Christ today. By doing so, we will show and prove to the world our love for our God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for enduring these hardships. Thank you for coming to earth as a man, for giving yourself up wholly and completely, for loving us so much that you gave us your son. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would love you with all that we are, that we would love others as much as we love ourselves. Lord, I pray that we would bear each other's burdens. I pray that we would put our differences aside, seeing that we are yours, that you have brought us into relationship with you and relationship with each other. And Lord, that we need each other right now, right here. Thank you for working amongst our brothers and sisters. Lord, thank you for those servants that are gonna be in children's ministry. Thank you for those that serve behind the scenes that we don't see. And Lord Jesus, I pray that as we love each other, that the world would look on, question it, and desire it. Lord, I pray that we would be ready in season and out with, with answers to the questions that the world has. Oh, thank you for your word, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray.
Amen.